seeds from your birds in heaven so we can harvest welcome everyone to the coffee theology and jesus podcast i am joined here with my co-co-hosts rob mcmichael to my front right my 12 o'clock so to speak uh maybe 12.05 typical engineer response (laughs) jordan renault to my nine o'clock yep and good old Pastor Dan McCarthy to my 11.05. No. 11. <laughs> no. Uh, definitely 11 o'clock. It's good, good to be back on the show. Thanks, Thanks for having Dan. me. Way, way to bring us back in. So. <laughs> it's been a little while. We were all pretty busy. A, bris- a busy month, obviously. But I'm glad to be mm-hmm. back on. I'm glad you were able to make it out, Dan, to this episode yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, of course. Anytime. You know, it's a whole grace thing. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because of last time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Last time it was. You fun. weren't even here last time. No, I wasn't. That's hilarious. <laughs> I just um, listened later. We spent Maybe. about we spent about 25 minutes arguing over mic levels earlier, and now we're finally able to hit record and record this podcast. All because my 1205er over here, Rob, doesn't know how to speak in front of a, of a microphone. I get nervous. Is that because in your church you guys don't use microphones? <laughs> we do. Up on the pulpit. I'm what is sure, that? I'm thing? not sure if you do though. <laughs> You would if you've been there. <laughs> Zing. I, don't, I don't attend churches like yours, Rob. I'm very eclectic in my tastes. Mm. <laughs> Judgmental, too. Very, very. That's the only way to live as a millennial. So, <laughs> How was your guys' week? Pretty good overall? Good. Yeah. Not bad? Busy. Terrific. Mm. Um, I'm planning for this wedding that you guys all know about, but I have a funny story to share about that because... What wedding? Oh, you haven't heard? Yeah. Oh, uh, Have my, you not my heard? wedding. Oh, your wedding. Yeah, you're actually in it. I don't know if you know that or not. Good to know. Yeah, you're, you're in the wedding. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, am I in it too? No. Mm. Rob, was I even Just at me. your wedding? No, you weren't okay. invited. That's what I thought. So <laughs> I guess you're invited to this one. So, <laughs> But so, that's that yeah. could change. It, it yeah, could. I'll invite you to my next one. You're on thin night. Oh. <laughs> Wait, that wow. sounded wrong. Uh, we got to go. Um, so I am, I'm getting married in someone's backyard. We're doing, we're doing a garden wedding. And because of that, we have to find a portable restroom solution because we can't have 200 people using this person's house. Porta it's, not, it's not feasible. Right, of course. Look, listen. Prefer it, a Porta John. In my opinion, mm. the woods is fine for most people. But at a wedding, apparently, <laughs> you have to be all classy and nice and with an Italian family they're not going to stand not if for everyone a has normal... a suit with a butt flap <laughs> that's like a mandatory thing Just, please bring your butt I wore flap my pajama suit. pants <laughs> so so I end up having to look online to find like a nicer restroom which you can definitely rent a lot of these porter potty places have like these like they call them you know deluxe royal restrooms like just like home yeah they're really nice and when I I went to a friend's wedding a couple of years ago and they have one of those because they got married out, out in a big field with a tent and it was nice so I figured well I might as well call one of them up and see what the pricing is and in my head I have like a number I'm thinking okay I need a, a, a medium to small size portable restroom that maybe has two doors on the same trailer so they can people you know men, men's room women's room um and i need it for about six hours so i'm hoping it's going to be maybe like you know eight hundred a thousand bucks for the evening i thought that was pretty reasonable i mean it sounds reasonable what is there to it you you trailer out this thing you leave it there we hook up our hose with our electric and you pick it back up that's you're not building me anything you're just dropping off what you already have yeah but they have to dispose of your waste yeah just throw it out in the woods it's all de- it's all biodegradable um, so I call, I, I send a quote out to this one place that I will leave unnamed and I chose it. I chose the option I thought would be good for us. And it was nice. It had a full sink and a full, you know, um, a full mirror and it had the stalls and everything. 
And the lady gets back to me like two days later. And she goes, oh, yeah, we could definitely do that. We have really affordable rates, yada, yada. She sends me a quote for $2,200. I almost fell over. Like it, it was sticker shock. Why don't we just build one? I'm getting, I don't have time. Do you want to build me one as yeah, a I'll, wedding gift? Yeah, for $1,000, I'll build you one. Done. <laughs> it's your wedding gift to us. I built your porter potty at your, at your wedding. You're welcome. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. I just couldn't believe how expensive that was. Uh, $2,200 uh, $2, bucks for a portable restroom that is literally it, it's a trailer it has wheels on it you're not towing anything you're just or you're not like you're not unloading anything off of a truck you're just planting it and then you're picking it up so that was my that was my newest venture into the wedding it's world it's all about supply and demand clearly clearly and there's definitely a demand because my guests Barely. have got to use the bathroom so <laughs> anyway, everyone does it I ended up shopping it around and I found a cheaper rate and it, it worked out fine now but I, I just that first quote I'm thinking oh, I'm screwed there's no way I can afford you know anywhere <laughs> close to this for someone just to use the bathroom I mean that, that's crazy talk so but you could have just put a, like a quarter slot and everyone had to pay a quarter so you probably would have got you know half your money <laughs> <laughs> Because oh you had twenty five, two hundred and fifty people serve lots of water, going four times. <laughs> a lot of water. That's hilarious. Yeah. No, that's a bad you idea. Drink up. That's kind of like. <laughs> that's kind of like. Have you guys seen or heard about um, the Kickstarter called? I think it was called Swan Love, and the premise was that they they had grants for weddings and they would pay for your wedding up to ten thousand dollars but if you got divorced you owed the money back oh yeah yeah I saw so that. sarah and i applied for it and we're like this could be great and it was like a big kickstarter promotion so they didn't they, they they didn't launch for a few months so they finally launch and then i guess they got and i you know i guess they got a little overwhelmed and they they redid their whole structure so now it's a gofundme campaign for your wedding you can ask your friends to help you pay for your wedding is now the new structure which, in my opinion, is so tacky. Yeah. Wouldn't that be tacky, yeah. asking your friends to pay for your wedding? And, oh, also, please come out to our wedding. Oh, and give us a gift. Oh, yes. Oh, well, duh, of course. Give us a gift. I, anyway, <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe that was a real thing. That How do you go from, we'll pay for your wedding unless you get divorced, to, oh, yeah, have your friends pay for your wedding. I, it was quite a stretch, so. Yeah. But Anyway, that's been my newest development in, in, in the wedding world. It's a fun world. No, it's not. I'm ready to be married. I don't even remember. I think I may have like blocked it out. <laughs> it's back there somewhere. Was Just your, all the planning. But is, your wedding uh, was nice, though. It was nice. Yeah. Was yeah. it stressful for you guys? Were you guys pretty stressed out? Um. Yeah, leading up to it for sure. But it's kind of cool because then it's like you get there and you're getting married and it's like, wow, we don't have to do this anymore. Well, yeah, no more wedding. That's planning. what I'm excited <laughs> for. I'm excited to say we did it. Let's go on the honeymoon. So. And then once Close. you're done and you're in the limo, you're like, wow, that went really fast. Yeah. It goes by very fast. That's what everyone says. So, so they make do. sure you get. And they're right. You everyone get food right. and dessert. Listen, I'm paying for that food. I, I'm paying for a pasta bar, a buffet pasta bar. I'm darn well going to eat some of that food. I'll make sure. Probably not. No, I'm going to make sure my stomach <laughs> is. You're going to go around and greet everyone else while they're eating. That yep. is, That's who what you're going to do. Who makes these rules up, by the way? Why do I have to go around and greet every single guest? I don't know. But at you're going to. At, at what birthday party do you guys do that? This ain't your birthday. I'm just saying. It's all about the it's girl. It's your wife's wedding. <laughs> yup. It's not my wedding? Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Even a little bit? Mm-mm. No. You just turn out married in the end. No, no. I can't complain. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's pretty much like you're going to yeah, someone yeah, else's it's wedding. It's got its exactly. So, um, yeah. So, that, that, that's been my month, planning a wedding. No fun. Actually, I lied. It is kind of fun. I kind of do enjoy it. But. <laughs> Except for when we went, um, uh, we went over to Target to register for our 
like you know stuff for people to buy for us, and that was pretty painful. But How I survived. Painful? Well, it's like because, shopping. Well, here's the thing: you don't I spend any money. We went to Bed Bath and Beyond a while ago, and that was a lot of fun. It took us almost two hours. So we got to scan whatever we wanted, but yeah. because we scanned so much already, mm-hmm. you know. It was for me. Sarah was like, "Oh, let's scan everything." And I'm thinking, "Well, we already scanned all these items." I bet right, you don't on. want two of the same item. Yeah, but what I started doing was I started going around and scanning random things. Like I scanned a pack of juicy fruit and gum, just to have on there. Good to know. I scanned a pack of uh, six pack of Sprite. <laughs> like, why not? Just I scanned Advil. <laughs> let me, let <laughs> Julia me, took it off. Let me ask you men a question about tackiness. Is it tacky to scan a big screen TV? <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Thank no. you. I see it all the time on wedding registration. Sarah, if you're listening, I was right. <laughs> I, I've seen everything. I've seen uh, Blu-ray players, the speakers, so, uh, people, you know, for the TV, like I mean, home theater things. Yeah, I mean. Sometimes you're both into yeah. nice home theater. Yeah. Listen, I, I already have the speakers and, and stuff for, uh, from where I live now, but I just need a nice TV to watch any of it on. So I didn't think mm. it was tacky at all, but I'll get someone that will fruit. remain nameless thought I was a little tacky. <clears throat> Anyway, it was Rob. Yeah, it was Rob. It was Rob me. thought so. Um, in he other was news, in on it. <laughs> in other news, um, big news in the Christian world. Shocking news. Um, I know we've all been waiting a long time for this to happen. Wait, Donald Trump is forgot. running for president. No, you what? forgot the intro music for your segment. I'm getting there. Oh, okay. I'm getting there. All right, fine. You just spoiled it. <sighs> we can edit that out. It's like when Dan spoiled Ocean's Twelve for me five minutes ago with with it's not really Julia Roberts. Like, <laughs> it's crazy talk. Wait, what? You haven't seen the movie now. You're, you're probably <laughs> never going to see that movie. Um, I know that a lot of people... I mean, I'll put it this way. In, this is a movie I'm talking about here. There were there were two movies I was really amped for this year. I've been waiting years for. <laughs> number one was Batman vs. Superman, which I loved. And number two was God's Not Dead 2. And mm. that dropped this weekend. Oh, and that, did it ever. Midnight did it. show. And that brings us to our Christians in the News segment. Rob? Da, 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 da. Thank you, Rob. You're welcome. Now, everyone, I mean, you guys already know my position on Christian movies, specifically God's Not Dead 1. So the aptly named, ironically, God's Not Dead 2, I guess we're making sure he's definitely not dead, came out. And the uh, website crosswalk.com, which I think is usually pretty fair and balanced when it comes to reviewing, uh, reviewing movies or a Christian website that are, I think is pretty good overall, they reviewed the movie. And they really summed it up, this winner of a movie. God's Not Dead sequel takes two steps back for Christian cinema. They, they didn't like it. Which I just want to point out, I kind of called when we had this discussion three podcasts ago, I want to say, around that movie. Hmm. Remember the, the, the trailer we talked about it? Yep. The premise of saying the word Jesus in the public school, the big bad ACLU wants to take her down, the big bad, you know, government, blah, 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 blah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch casts yes. a spell. Who I found out is actually a very devoted Christian. I read an interview uh, an interview with her a couple weeks ago. She's yeah. actually always been very devoted. I, I never knew that. But anyway, so the movie came out, and it's not good. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> There's really nothing else to say. You got any thoughts on that, Jordan? Did you go see it? No. Oh, okay. No. I was just wondering. Well, why would I waste my money on such a terrible movie? Just uh, wait till it comes out on Netflix. Exactly. Maybe I'll torrent it. Is that wrong of me? If, 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 a movie, if that movie spreads the gospel, is it really wrong to torrent they that movie? They should give it away for free. That's honestly. what I'm saying. Why make a buck? Like I mean, is track. the gospel... Can we put a price on the gospel? Apparently, we can. Yes. yes. It's called $10 for a ticket. <laughs> yes. So. 
Bring your friends. That's the price of the gospel. Dan is over here just wincing, thinking, oh my gosh, the people from my church hear this podcast. <laughs> They're <laughs> all going to hear I'm it. I'm out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> We're going as a youth group event. <laughs> Disown are, us now. You not, can get away. We are not going as a youth group event. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dan, do you have any opinion on, on the whole Christian movie idea? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think the intentions are right. I think people really do have an intention to, you know, attempt to share the gospel through every media way. But there's just no way realistically possible that they can do that and compete with Hollywood. When you're talking about the budgets, when you're talking about the actors that you can get involved, um, you know, even, even probably their skill level in writing – you know, a, a mm-hmm. script in comparison to these big time professional people. So it's just, I just think it's a really, re- when you compete with Hollywood, I think you're just always going to lose. So there just might be better ways for us to try to uh, invest, you know, our time, money, energy into uh, spreading the gospel to people. But there have so, been some good movies that have come out as Christian influenced movies. I think about Risen got uh, really good reviews. People who saw that said it was yeah, really even, solid and well even done. Even the secular. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I also, I also think about Passion of the Christ. I mean, that is what really started. But is the Passion of the Christ really a Christian movie, though? It's a well, Christian-themed movie, not no doubt. Well, then we get into the whole discussion about you know is right. is the word Christian really an adjective? <laughs> you know, a, a Christian well, it's music, Christian, Christian music. Mu- yeah, yeah, I mean, I would say that that the movie was around a very essential Christian Christian doctrine, mm-hmm. right. and I thought that it was done really well and brought home the intensity of what actually happened. Right. Because but, sometimes when you read the story. Producer Mel Gibson, you know, I mean, right. crazy budget, you know. Right, We're talking course. about these, like, small Christian companies that are trying to produce, you know, But I, I also feel like a movie, and I'm using, in this case, God's Not Dead 2 as a straw man here, but I feel like movies like that, they don't really want to be thought-provoking. They just kind of want to you know, instill the same thoughts and, and stereotypes Push and an agenda that you've always had as, as a Christian, you know? Yeah. Well, what if the government tries to silence my speech? This movie just reinforces that. It doesn't ask the question of the, the, the maybe the, the tension between those two things or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of idea. So, you know, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ was definitely thought-provoking. It was controversial, too. I, I remember Absolutely. it was being kind of viewed as, as anti-Semitic, you yeah. know? But it was really going yep. just off of the text. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't intentionally meant to be anti-Semitic. It was just going off of the very well-known story of the, the crucifixion of, of Christ. It was yep. pretty accurate, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, I, it's not that I've never seen a good Christian-inspired movie. It's just that the ones that I find get the most traction in the evangelical movement tend to be these, you know, kind of stereotypical, um, it, it reinforces my worldview and shuts down other worldviews mm-hmm. style movies that don't make Christians think outside of their own boxes. They kind of just reinforce every stereotype possible that Christian evangelicals feed off of. So for me, that's why I'm not a big fan of these movies. Our next bro date will be to one of these. No. Okay. Can we go I, I see God's if Not Dead 2 as a podcast? If you pay for me, I'll go I will be gladly pay. I love those movies. <laughs> Done. No problem. We should go to God's Not Dead 2, all of us together. You can come too, Dan. And Thanks for live invite. tweet it. Can, or can we live podcast it? If we torrent it, we can live podcast That's it. That's true. We could do and it from then home. And we can go to prison for illegally downloading and broadcasting <laughs> publicly a movie. Well, what if they didn't hear the movie? And then we can call persecution for our faith. We actually have. That's it. Then we can make a movie about it. And someone else could do that. We have a Twitter account for Call for Theology and Jesus. We do? Yeah, I created one. How long ago? I don't know. How many long tweets time ago? does it have? Probably None. like zero. How many times has it tweeted? Uh, at least zero. At least. 
Also at most. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to uh, keep going on the same movie circle over and over. So all right, all right, fine. Move on. So, um, all right. Wow. First, you want us to talk, and then you want us to don't talk. <laughs> well, do you have any more thoughts Please, around this? We we'll have this more thoughts. Subject? Have less thoughts. Do you have any more thoughts, Jordan? <laughs> no. Any other thoughts? Lots of other thoughts. No. But okay. Well, I did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Good. Um, let's move into our meat and potatoes of tonight. Mm-hmm. Millennials. Mm. 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 Wish I knew some. Mm. <laughs> Rob is old. So, uh, how old are you, Rob? Are you 30? <laughs> no, 28. Okay, you got some Buddy. Time. All right, all right. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to insult you. Unbelievable. Oh, crap. So, 28, 20, Tim, 27? 27. 26. 26. Okay. You better be 25. I'm 24. Oh. oh. Wow, you're like a little child. I know, I'm the baby. You are yeah. a baby. <laughs> Um, Most of us are in our late 20s. Yes. Some of us are in our early 20s. Who? Hmm. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> 24 is mid. No. I guess 26 is still mid. Then, I, I, I count 24 right. through 26 as mid-20s. No, mm-hmm. 25 Thank is mid-20. You. Right, Jordan? No, I agree with Tim, actually. Thank you. Because my birthday was a few weeks ago. Thank you for remembering. And I uh, I texted you. You didn't respond. And I also put it on your Facebook <laughs> that wall. That is true. You also didn't that respond, so I don't want to hear it. I, I didn't either. <laughs> I was Happy birthday. Sick. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anyway, um, so I was telling everyone that I was still in my mid twenties because I was. 26. Well, I, I believe it. I found this article from a year ago, so somewhat. When it comes to research and statistics, somewhat new still. And uh, uh, the article title is "Millennials Leaving Church in Droves: Study Finds." So there's a study done by the Pew um, Research Institute, and they are pretty well known for their research and uh, in polling. And they have found that over the past really 10 years, 20 years, there's been a steady decline of young people leaving the church. Mm-hmm. And with millennials in um, in particular, they found a pretty steep drop. Yes, Rob, do you have a you have a look on your face? You said that wrong. What a steady, I said. a steady increase in millennials leaving the church. What I not say. a steady decline in millennials leaving the church. Yes, I'm sorry. I know what you meant. Yes, let me rephrase that. There's been an increase in millennials leaving. Yes. Okay. Um, they found that roughly right now about 23 percent of the country's adult population um, sign off as no religion, uh, no religious, you know, affiliate at all right now, um, and that's almost tied with the number who say I'm an evangelical about 25%. So they're finding that that the evangelical polling, the catholic polling, the even the protestant um you know affiliation is all shrinking and that one of uh of no religious affiliation is continually growing. So I know that last our, our last podcast we talked a lot about um just that uh, that book on Christian mm-hmm. and how we're finding that or how that book found really that a lot of Christians who claim to be a Christian in reality are not practicing Christians. They're more just Christian in word only. Yeah. Um, and we started talking about that and that brought us over to millennials, but you know, there's just not enough time in one podcast to cover both of those subjects. So tonight, especially because we're all millennials as well, um, I thought that it'd be good to kind of go into some discussion or into some, some depth about that because it is kind of alarming that I think, Dan, we were talking about this yesterday and you were saying how it's not necessarily abnormal that people in their eight, you know, who are 18, either they're really, they're they're young, young, uh, young adults. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not normal. It's not abnormal for them to leave, but it's, what's weird about this time is that they're not coming back. Right. Right. Yeah. I think the book on Christian might 
talk about that even a little bit. It's been, I think it's been a year since I've read the book. So right. I forget all the exact details of what the book says. But yeah, essentially, um, this isn't a new topic of, you know, you having good children and, you know, youth programs. But then people, when they get in that college age, leaving the church. It's just our parents and their parents before came back when they were 30s because they started having kids and they realized we want to raise kids with biblical values, even if we haven't aligned with those biblical values the past couple of years of our life. So that brings them back to the church. They start finding their faith again. Of course, the kids are raised in the church then. Uh, but what's happening is millennials, just like what you said, Tim, uh, are leaving the church and are not coming back. And so that's where the real issue is lying is that once they're out the door, uh, they really are gone. They're not coming back in their 30s and 40s with kids. Now, Dan, you are currently really a youth pastor, technically, right? Is, is that your actual official title? Or what's your official title? At, yeah, at the so church? it is associate pastor. So okay. we're associate pastors and then, you know, overseeing the youth, youth, young adults and worship and creative. So you're 24 so. and you're fully invested in the institutionalized church right sure. now. So you're one of the few who are not uh, leaving the church. And in fact, you went the opposite. You went deeper into the church body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in your experience, in your perceptions, you know, I'm assuming you went to Bible school, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like, uh, or what do you feel like is contributing to this, you know, um, epidemic, I guess we can use, or just this, this this idea that millennials are leaving and not coming back? Yeah, I just think it's the greater increase in culture of just self. You know, I, I think one thing that I'm just constantly seeing over and over, and, and I kind of harp on this a lot, is just we just live in such a self-centered culture that's just pervasively become about me and about what I want. You know, even social media, you know, the selfie. I mean, we could talk about all of these things, but over and over and over again, it's become less about we community us together we're in this together and that's really why a lot of people come to church is even that community aspect uh and it's so much more about me myself my agenda everyone has a platform to speak from now from social media and so you know i think that there's number one is that as soon as you go to college obviously open up to a whole lot of worldviews and perspectives that you're probably not seeing in your local church and and probably not taught in a Christian environment. And so number one, there's that, but also the increased pervasiveness of just the culture we live in, the self. And I think that's what's really driving people away from the church right now, keeping them away. Um, so I think what you said about community is really good because I think that I was thinking about this the other day, um, just how easy it is to have like this almost like faux community, yeah. like through social media and things like that. Like it's almost like because we feel like we can get that elsewhere. Yep. Like that's almost not a driving factor to come back anymore. Like yep. the church, like if the if the community I feel in church, I can have on Facebook with, um, you know the cleanliness, if you will, right. of social media, not having to get into like the dirty of people's lives kind right. of thing. Because clicking is clean, right? Yeah. Someone posts a status and, oh, oh I'll yeah. just like it. I'll just give them that approval. Now we can react. Oh yeah, I'll just say, that's great. Yeah, you can react now with them. But but genuine compassion is messy. You know, when yeah. you get involved in people's lives and start seeing some of the mess that they're going through, uh, you, you compassion, uh, the Greek word is actually mehi in the Greek word. It means the yearning, the deep feeling of something within, within your mm-hmm. bowels actually that's the what the greek meaning is i love that feeling um yeah (laughs) something but but true compassion is really to to be drawn into action to respond to a person you don't have to do that through social media you know is never before have we been so connected yet at the same time so empty and isolated but do you do you also feel though that part of the reason uh why millennials are leaving the church um, is because they haven't found authentic community in the church. Absolutely. For Absolutely. Me, for me, that was yeah, my yeah. big Absolutely. struggle was that I found myself thinking, um, okay, so church, I'm told 
from from a pastor that church is a body of people, but I'm shown that church is a place that I go to every right. Sunday morning. Is there anything beyond this? And I, I hear people preach about the Acts 2 church and the community, but then I see that we attend just these events and we call that our church. So for me, it was a lack of that community mm-hmm. that kind of drove me out of the institutionalized uh, part of the church. Yeah. And for again, the word church we're using really loosely here. I mean, the word mm-hmm. church really never refers in the, in the scriptures to a building or a place or anything like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the capital C church. Right. Just because you're not attending a local body doesn't mean that somehow you can disconnect yourself from being part of, uh, of the church. However, you can definitely forsake the assembly, as it says in scripture, and right. that definitely does a lot of harm uh, to yourself and to the, the local body. But for me, I found that it was more of a lack of of community. It wasn't that I, I I thought, oh, this isn't the right kind of community or that, hey, um, I found better community community over Facebook. For me, it was they say they have community, but there isn't really authentic, deep compassion. Right. And, and that's what the Bible says is they won't know you by how great you preach or they won't know you by what great programs you're running. They said they'll, they'll know you by your love. And I, I think that's what authentically keeps people coming back to churches when you find a place where ultimately everyone's looking to belong right you belong before you become a fully devoted follower of jesus but then the love of christ you know so how is that being shown in a tangible way you know if if loves christ isn't if christ's love isn't coming from your heart that that's where community comes from so it's it's one thing to preach something it's another thing to truly live that out the love of christ i i also think there's a a part of it where I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say this correctly, but um, so the there's it's kind of a multitude of things coming together, but uh, the millennials are coming to church and they're not finding that community, but they've never had that devotion to the scripture yeah. that would keep them there either, right. So there's this lack of intensity in their own faith to keep them there, even when, okay, I'm not finding what I need at this local body. I'm not finding what what will meet my needs. But there's not that devotion to the scripture to say, okay, but the Bible does say this is what I should be doing, and I should be pouring myself in, and I should be loving others even when I'm not getting that back. And so it's kind of on both sides. I think that ties back to what you said, Dan, about it being a self thing. Yeah. We're all saying, well, I'm not getting what I need out right. of this church, so I'm right. going to go. Right. This church doesn't meet my needs. Let's go to the next place that has something. Right. Consumeristic church shopping right. is instead what it is. Of, instead of pouring yourself in and saying, how can I then make sure this isn't happening to someone else in this place? I right. feel like um, I'm, I, don't, I don't know that I've felt like this necessarily, but I could definitely understand other people coming from this point is just kind of like um, as a millennial – feeling like they've done that like yeah i've poured into this church you know my whole life i've been here Mm -hmm. through youth group i've been here you know keep pouring in and going on missions trips and whatnot and being a part of this community over and over and then when you get to that certain point um where you kind of don't see any return on that maybe right or just no response to that or no responsibility given because of that um to you in the church like Uh, They still don't trust you or I don't know, Mm -hmm. whatever the feeling might be. I can understand someone saying, you know, well, you know what? You know, I'm not I don't have community here. Not that I haven't tried. It's just hasn't been reciprocate reciprocated. 
Um, so why am I still here? Well, especially when you combine that with someone who doesn't feel equipped to handle culture. You know, you brought this up earlier, Dan, that it's kind of normal we found in American culture for, you know, when you hit 18, 19, you go to college, you kind of drop out of the church and you kind of come back when you have kids. That doesn't mean that just because it's normal, it's somehow a healthy idea. Right. Not healthy And I think it speaks to how much we've turned youth group into, you know, a concert pizza party. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, teenage babysitting club. Yeah. And we've never really been able or a lot of uh, local church bodies have never taken the time to really equip their teens for really not on, not in the sense of oh you need to be ready to fight these things but hey this is a cultural view let's talk about it let's engage with it let's figure out where the bible stands on it and why mm-hmm. and we'll go from there because i can tell you right now you know if a millennial or let's say some kid you know is 18 he grew up in the youth group his whole life he goes to college and he's told obviously at youth group hey don't have sex before you're married and you probably take the purity pledge and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but if 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 someone asks that person, hey, why don't you have sex before you're married? And they go, well, because God says so, you know, because God says so. And they, and that person goes, well, why does God say so? That's, that's, that's the level of knowledge. It's, I don't know why God says so. He just says, don't do it. There's no Mm -hmm. thought. A lot of times I found that, 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 that the student can't really intelligently defend why this is something that they either do or don't uh, participate in. Mm -hmm. And now they get, they get all these new views thrown out, uh, uh, thrown at them that that they've never heard before. Mm -hmm. Oh, I never thought about it like this. I never thought about test driving the car. You know, all these analogies that on on the surface sound nice, but of course underneath are completely empty. I mean, we're talking about a car versus a human. What a terrible analogy. But on the surface you think, well, it's a good analogy. I never really thought about it. And then before you know it, you you become you kind of become jaded. I find a little bit like, yeah. well, why did no one tell me about what I was going to encounter here? This makes so much more sense than what I grew up believing. Yeah, two th- two things I want to say. First of all, you're you're absolutely right. I think, you know, you can ministry leaders, pastors, board member, whatever. You can just get into the process, especially in a youth ministry or a children's ministry, and or or even young adult context that you just think, okay, someone said the prayer. Therefore, uh, discipleship is just going to happen. And like discipleship does not just happen overnight. I mean, that's a process that involves sitting down in conversation and working through, but uh, and genuinely pointing people to develop them to have a genuine, real relationship with Christ that includes talking to God, prayer, time in the Word, living and serving in your church, authentic community. Um, I was reading an article when I first started youth ministry. I'll never forget it. It was the three things that guarantee that your youth will stay fully devoted followers of Christ once they leave your ministry. The first thing was a genuine experience with Christ themselves. You know, more than anything else, you have to have that experience right, with Christ. Absolutely. It can't be manufactured or manipulated by a church uh, leader or a pastor or an environment that just felt right. A genuine experience of the Holy Spirit coming into your heart, changing your life, following Jesus. The second thing was the youth pastor. Um, what lifestyle did they actually live and model based on what they preach you know that your words your actions say so much more than your words that was the second thing and the third thing was the environment that they brought up in so whatever home environment that they're in parents uh grandparents raising whoever it is but that the parents are the single greatest influence in a child's life and really that the uh, youth pastor church leaders role is to partner together with the parents resourcing them so they can have the greatest impact in that child's life together church and home that's the whole orange theory uh they're rocking that down in north point that's their that's they've done a lot of innovative thinking on that but those three things really guarantee and and so often you just see you know a lot of students fall away a lot of millennials are are leaving the church in droves because 
they didn't really have that genuine experience with Christ. It was a, you know, it, so there's some of those things are, you know, that, just really kind of pressing. That uh, number one, uh, mm-hmm. the genuine relationship with Jesus, I think is is it's it starts like you said. That yeah. is that that's one hundred and one. Yeah. And I think back to my youth group experience, which again wasn't wasn't everyone's experience. So I it, right. I, I don't want to make my perception the reality for everyone else, but. You know, the only thing that really kept me through those years was that I really had a sincere belief and relationship with Jesus. And I think about the kids that I grew up with now and the ones that I still keep in touch with on Facebook or that I know of, not many made it through. And then I started thinking about, well, what was our youth group like? And our youth group was pretty much the 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 meeting after Sunday morning we had our youth group time and you know um, it was the occasional pizza party or and it was always like maybe one or two youth leaders for like for like thirty of us and there was never um, it was I've, I always saw them as as adults supervising me I never saw it as oh this person right. genuinely wants to know wants to know who I am or has or really has taken the time to show an interest in me ironically the only person I could think of he was an older gentleman I was uh, him and uh, me and his son were were really good friends and. That man, his name was Todd. Um, I remember spending time with him. He took me out to, uh, to. I was really into computers as a kid. He took me to a computer festival, mm-hmm. like a computer show, and we we kind of started building my computer together. I'll yeah. never forget that. You'll you'll never forget, <laughs> never forget you'll that. never forget those investment moments. And that's actually yeah. where we find that actually discipleship moments are actually happening mm-hmm. when you get outside and just get with them one on one. You know, conversations with students, conversations about what God's doing, even just real life conversations about their life. You know, for, you know, and then leading to God moments with that. But, you know, I completely agree with you. You really have to have a clearly defined purpose-driven youth ministry because it can very quickly become an event and social YMCA club if you're if you're not careful with that. You really have to, you know, what is our purpose? What is our goal? How is Christ in this? And then what environments are we providing with the help of spiritual leaders in these students' lives to impact the next generation? So completely agree with you. I was thinking about the difference between, like, um assuming the reality of Christ in someone's life versus challenging the reality of Christ in someone's life. And thinking back to like my time in youth group and kind of what that looked like is kind of what it was. And maybe not just in my church, but in, in other Christian circles as well. Cause, um, you know, Tim and I were both part of a, a ministry called CEF. Um, so definitely there as well. Uh, but just kind of what I felt like happened with me was that, um, that was always just assumed by everyone around me, you know, uh, maybe because I claimed it. Um, but what does that mean, really? You know, unless you dive deeper into that claim. Um, so I think maybe this uh, an idea of like uh, j- just challenging that in people and not in a way where you're like calling into question what someone uh, says is a reality in their life by no means. But if we can't, um, you know, ask hard questions like, do you really know Jesus? <laughs> like, you know, and what does that look like? Like, why do you say that you do? Um, and those kinds of things, it's kind of just becomes this like assumed reality that you're just kind of going through and, and, and you're reacting to that. And almost, we talked about this in the last podcast, like kind of like jumping to discipleship when that relationship isn't even there yet. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we get that example through Paul and, other of the apostles and disciples and everything. I mean, Paul wasn't afraid to go up to Peter and say, hey, Peter, you're claiming to be an elder in this church, but you're you're disassociating with the Gentile Christians, and you're going back to your right. exclusive group of Jewish Christians. Yeah. And what you're doing is wrong, and he rebuked him for it. And I think there should be that level where, okay, 
Paul and Peter must have had a good relationship where Paul could go to Peter and say those things and Peter not get all defensive and be offended, but he actually won him back and, and really united the church in Jerusalem again because of it. So we should be able to have, one, that relationship where we're able to do that, and two, have those moments where we can rebuke one another and say, look, this is what we should be doing. Why aren't you doing this? And I mean, that's what James is all about is you're going to know them by their fruits. But that's if they also, don't have fruits. Yeah. That's also because the reason why that doesn't happen is because millennials don't like being told that they're wrong. Yes. And that's on us. All comes right. back to the first thing that we talked it about, really, that selfie. There's no doubt. And there's you know. no doubt millennials, and my, this is myself included, are definitely feel entitled uh, mm-hmm. to some things that maybe – you know they have valid grounds on, but on a lot of other things they really don't. Um, they, we, I should say, not they, because I'm one of them. Um, we are, we are self-centered. We are selfie-driven. We are attention-driven. I mean, social media. We love getting those likes on those Facebook statuses. We love mm-hmm. getting those likes on the Instagram status. And and you know, I I can definitely appreciate the idea of social media behind it, but there is no doubt that we use it for attention. And Mm -hmm. when it comes also to being told that we're wrong, we really don't like that because we grew up in in a pluralistic society that really fed the lie of, oh, it's all relative. What's true for you is true for you and true for me is true for me, which is so, it's so logically dumb when you really think about that that idea but we 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 really swallowed it hook line and sinker because it sounds again on the surface it sounds so nice we are that we are that that bumper sticker driven generation that loves the yes. the quick facebook meme and we think oh that's so deep until you think about it and you go oh wait this is a dumb I, this is a dumb this me uh, this this is a dumb meme it makes no sense when you think about it but we like um we like that that sugar rush of mm-hmm. oh this sounds good and then i think what has happened is that the church has become made or has has been made in the millennials image because we have and this is where i think the church needs to take some ownership i really am a firm believer that the sunday morning gathering should never have been designed for the unbeliever because mm-hmm. that is the believers gathering to worship their lord together they the unbelievers should be attracted to someone's lifestyle and then be brought in they they start belonging to a certain culture and then they they kind of become a Christ follower as they find out what that person's about but we turn the Sunday morning service into our biggest ministry outreach in my opinion that really i think ruined a lot of the deep theology a lot of, a lot of that of that deep sense of community because if you look in scripture you're not going to find anywhere from any of the apostles from any of the disciples saying oh yeah you're in your sunday morning gathering make sure that 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 unbelievers are being outreached and that we're doing things in the image of the culture to attract them in now at the same time before people start going down my throat about this i'm not saying that we can't be relevant but what i am saying is that i'm a firm believer that that the sunday morning gathering or that the church gathering should be is should be designed for the church not to say an unbeliever can't come out to it but when we start sacrificing deep theology for the sake of flashy lights and you know a feel-good sermon or we start sacrificing deep theology uh for you know happy songs you know and 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 like a rock driven culture i think we find ourselves in definitely in some trouble tim i think you should come out to my church one sunday morning no (laughs) maybe (laughs) because it is definitely I know we're not the only ones that are doing this, but it's not designed for um, unbelievers. It's as we gather, it's a small group of believers gathering to worship the Lord together. That's it. The believers actually aren't even, we practice the seed of the unlearned. So, 
So how do you reach unbelievers then at your church? Just oh, we have just we, asking. Yeah, no, we have uh, different meetings, separate meetings of our local church. That so we have a gospel meeting, which all we do is preach the gospel, the sermons. That's it. The just like Paul on Mars Hill, just like Peter on the day of Pentecost. That's that's what we present is a gospel message. So if you want to bring an unbeliever out, that's what you would bring them to. Bring them to hear a gospel message first. Obviously, you'd want to have that relationship where you could bring, invite someone out and they'd say, hey, there is something different about you. I want to hear this message that you want to preach. Dan, you had a look on your face when I was saying that. So I want to give you time to respond to that. And then I want to respond to your question of how do you... How do you bring people in? So go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. The Acts, the Acts 2 model is they ate together, they fellowship together, they prayed together, and the Lord added to their number daily. Actually, nowhere does it even say about outreach, you know, uh, outreach strategy, outreach method. It said the Lord added to their number daily. So it does say something, too. If we follow God's principles in Scripture— that you know the lord's going to take care of a lot of a lot of the rest i think so often we can try to be strategic and plan and god's just in heaven shaking his head like guess i got this can you just follow scripture and i'll take care of blessing the rest of you know what you're asking for and what you're looking for and growth and so i i agree with you um but i i also you know that kind of pushback go for it i'm ready as a church let's fight trying to plan so Obviously, I structure my Wednesday night youth church program um, that that we're running in a way to that's designed for them to bring their friends to. Because if they if they're not bringing their friends there, well, what what avenue are we are we going to get them coming to? So I'm not compromising on the message that I'm preaching. I'm not compromising on the worship that we're doing or the small groups that we then go into based upon the message. But I, I have designed some elements of our program. Uh, specifically for new students to bring their guests. And we're very new guest conscious. You know, I have a whole process for how the new guest gets in, how I get their information, the gifts we give them, uh, write them a postcard the next day, the tracking process, I track all of that. Uh, we're on metrics on it. You know, what am I retaining people at? Um, because if, if I'm not having them come, if I'm not getting new guests even in the door, how can I then start the process of discipleship and reaching new people in their lives? And also, one process of discipleship that I firmly believe in is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples in all nations. So if I'm not preaching to my students that they should be bringing their friends to our service, well, then how can new disciples even be made if they're not having the opportunity to even invite them and take that first step to that? In the context of youth ministry, I tend to agree with you because mm-hmm. a lot of parents feel like it's a safe environment for their kid to be part of a, a church, in, you know, part of a church. Even right. if they see the church as a building, it's they usually say, oh, they're going to church. Well, what's the harm in that? It's going to be a great night. Right. Play so games, as, as, a, as a future parent, you know, if I didn't know the Lord and, you know, my friend's uh, you know, daughter wanted to invite my child out to a youth group, I would say, oh yeah, that's fine. I, I trust automatically that's a safe place, right? So right. I can understand that for youth, but how about in the context of that bigger, you know, Sunday morning gathering, I find that your, your question was, you know, well, how do you, how do you reach them pretty much? And my mm-hmm. simple, simple response to that is, is just through being friends with the world. Right. Um, I have many friends who don't know Jesus that I have very healthy relationships with. Some have come out to you know, my small group nights or to my church. Some have gotten saved through that. But most of my people that I know who met the Lord, it was almost never, oh yeah, you know, I walked in the doors and this church meeting was so flashy and amazing. I just couldn't help but, but feel the presence of God. It was usually yeah. someone invited me out or I had a friend or we got dinner together. And I think about this principle of if every church member really did that, 
that would really solve your number crisis for it's, a lot of churches. Well, I mean, you know, it would be just a matter of time before you started multiplying and, anyway. And I completely agree with you. It's the, it's the one person principle. So I don't know if you guys know, know the illustration, but if every person made it their one mission to disciple one person a year in every church and reach one person. So for me, if my goal was to just reach my buddy Rob and I prayed for him and we had coffee and we invested relationship and invested time together and, and over the year, Rob accepts Christ, becomes a disciple, starts connecting to our church, that's the win. But you your goal is to get one person in a year, one person. If every person did that in the church, if every Christian in America did that, in 18 years, the whole world would be reached seven times for Christ. Exponentially, you wow. could reach the whole world if every person just made it their mandate to reach one person, disciple one person for Christ. So it's all through relationship. It's all through reaching one. You know, you look at the statistics, it's uh, 85 to 90% of people develop a relationship in Christ because someone simply built relationship with them, extended an invite to church, or led them to the Lord themselves. And it's not the Billy Graham Crusades. It's right. not the flashy program. So I'm, I'm 100% that's why I on go that nuts at, with you. That's why I go crazy at the institutionalized church because they spend all this money on these quote-unquote outreaches that oftentimes statistically are not successful. But then when it comes to making that time for the church to disciple each other to hopefully start spreading out, that's always – it's said but never modeled well or, or rarely modeled well. Teaching never used the word, never. people – Hey, this needs to be a culture for this is how you build relationship with you. This is how you can start that process of discipleship. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, walk through this book with this person, you know, and let's start talking about these things together, you know. So even key strategies, key tactics, um, you know, I don't think we're even teaching that. But again, know, per se. if you if you teach one thing verbally but don't model it physically, it's Absolutely. never going to happen. That's Absolutely. why we, for instance, I've never not heard a pastor say that, that the church is a group of people. But when you model that that church is the place you go to, and mm-hmm. church is the thing you do, no matter how much you preach that the church is a body of believers, you're, they're going to see that, it, that that's not consistent. Mm-hmm. So if that consistency isn't there, that's why I think you have, you have this huge gap between, I don't get it. We've explained what discipleship is so many times. Yeah, but who's modeled it? Right. Who has modeled think- what discipleship is? That's the bigger it question, has, and it has to be a top-down thing because completely you you, you reproduce who you are. It so absolutely, has to so. be. I think millennials more than anyone else can see through that too, because oh, yeah. they're we're, always, we're yeah. always, they're always looking for the flaws, right? So, you know, they're we're, brought looking. Up, we're brought up to be skeptical, and we're brought up to yeah, just see through that stuff. Like, there's always an ulterior motive. What are you actually doing instead of saying? I think you know, seeing through rhetoric, if you will is uh, one of the big traits of... Well, because look at the culture we grew up in. We grew up in a culture that wants something out of us. Mm -hmm. Right. No matter how genuine it might seem. used to it. Yeah, we're just used to being sold something. We're used to being... We're used to there being a catch. We're used to there never being... You know, always a fine print scenario. So we're just wired to kind of always be so skeptical because nothing is as good as it seems, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. So when someone really Mm -hmm. offers us a free lunch, we think, oh... What's the, the, what's the catch? Yeah, what do you mean you want to get lunch want? with me? Like, what do you want from me? You know, and that's definitely a Northeast thing as well, specifically, because yeah, the yeah. times I've been down in the South, I had a couple of people who would say hi to me that are strangers, and I'm thinking, what do you want from me? You know, I don't say hello, but so, so up you, here we're even more jaded. Culture. Here's culture a question thing. for you then. Do you feel like the culture, for instance, the Northeast where we are versus the South or in the Bible Belt, um, there's a different, like, that maybe 
the church meeting is more effective in those places because of just kind of that natural outpouring of friendliness and relationships that seem to happen easier there. So the Bible, or, Belt, the Bible Belt voted for Trump. So clearly it's not working. Wow, that was a jump. <laughs> well, that well, has nothing to do with well, what we're talking about. To answer your question, Jordan, I, I think it's I think it's easier to grow a church in the South because it's sure. ingrained in the culture and the friendliness right. of people. You know, I think if you took some churches in the Northeast that are 500, 600 people, they'd be easily double the size in the South just because right. everybody goes to church. Well, I'm as saying part of too, culture. like just if, if somebody coming out on a Sunday morning here would uh, be a little more skeptical, wouldn't connect unless they had that one-on-one interaction that you guys are talking about, whereas maybe in a different, slightly different culture, that would either happen more naturally just between people because the culture is less standoffish and mean than we are here. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll say something because a lot of my family lives in North Carolina, so I've been around the church culture in North Carolina as well. I think actually in the Northeast, you'll have more authentic Christians than you do in the South. And it's oh, because, I completely agree. Because they grew up in an environment where everybody goes to church, goes that's to what church. you do, yep. and so it's not real to anyone either. They go to church on Sundays, they live however they want, Sunday night through Saturday, Sunday morning, and then that's their time, and they give God like they're throwing them a bone every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really get authentic Christian living in the South as much as you would in the Northeast, because here, you're going to be persecuted for your belief, not in the, Tim's making a face, not in the sense that many in the world are being persecuted, but you're going to be ostracized for that. You're going to be challenged more. Challenged. Right. That's Definitely. a good word. And, and to go off what you're saying, Rob, you're, you're 100% right. Obviously, I was in Bible college in Oklahoma, and it was everybody goes to church on Sunday, and then you watch football. It's, it's right. just the same. Just as much as you would watch football would be that you would be going to church, and then they'll talk about football at church on Sunday to mesh both together. So, you know, it definitely is a lot of, it's just what we do. We all just go to church. We go to church as a family. It's like, whereas Northeast, you know, you'll see some, sometimes maybe one person in the family is going to church or, you know, maybe you see a lot, a lot more of that. And please, there are still people who come to church on Sunday and go back, but definitely more of that wholehearted, all in commitment. I have seen more in the Northeast than I I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's almost as if if you're attending that church gathering, usually it's intentional. Right. It's not just a byproduct of, oh, it's just how it is down here. Exactly. If you're you're going to church on Sunday mornings or going to a church meeting on Sunday mornings in the Northeast, you're really making it, you're really making an effort to get there. It's just not assumed, Mm -hmm. um, which definitely is a humongous difference for sure. Absolutely. But I do think that, that, that the challenge is different, but still greater nonetheless. Either you're up here and you're kind of jaded or you have nothing, or you don't want anything, anything to do with the gospel or down there you have a culture of almost like a, like, like a faux Christianity, you know, it appears Christian, but underneath there's just nothing there. It's, it's pretty hollow overall. Mm -hmm. Not to say you can't find a good amount of, devoted followers of Jesus in the Bible Belt. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. But you find that maybe for every one, you have another 10 that attend that same body that have no interest really uh, in, in the day-to-day practice of the Christian faith. Yeah, they may think they're a Christian without ever having that relationship that we were talking about. They've, they've never known Christ personally. And so you have to then preach through that to say, well, look at your foundation. You don't have it based on anything. You think you're a Christian because you've been coming to this building for the past 20 years. That's not what's making you a Christian. And like you're just saying, right? Exactly. You're, it's two different challenges, but they are still the same difficulty. But that's, you know, Jordan, you brought up earlier um, how 
you mentioned that part of the issue you've seen with millennials leaving the church is that they've tried to be a part of that church and they never got the responsibility or they got, you know, um, whatever. They got kicked out over something silly or whatever it was. But another big part of that, I think the the bigger issue on that is that when when people make um, their the church their Jesus and then the church fails them, they think yeah. that Jesus has failed them. They were never able yeah. to separate mm-hmm. the person of Jesus, that individual relationship, and then the relationship with the church and or how that's a separate thing. they only ever had the relationship with the church and didn't even have the relationship with right, Jesus. Right, right. They just assumed that, hey, because I go to a church, because I go to youth group, right. because I, I sing music on Sunday mornings. They're the same thing, right? I must be, <laughs> yeah, they're the same exact thing, but they're very distinct things, right? They're very they're yeah. very separate. And so when you have one without the other, you're in a lot of trouble no matter how you look at it. But I think that's a big thing is I met a lot of people, especially at work. I mean, I've, I've, I can probably say where I work, probably eight out of 10 of those people at some point were part of a church body. And... Probably out of that eight out of ten, about a five out of ten are no longer part of a church, and they're extremely jaded, and they pretty much have given up on Christianity. Yeah. And part of that is because they made the church their Jesus, and when the church hurt them, they assumed that 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 Jesus hurt them. But the other half of it too uh, is that you know they're just stubborn, and they don't yeah. want to they 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 don't want to submit to authority, or that they 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 don't want to follow a pastor, or if they disagree, they just see it as like finding a new pair of pants. Well, I'll just go somewhere else, and so yeah. I find what 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 fits me the best. And the danger in that, which I'm sure we all know, obviously, is that when you have that mindset of, well, this I don't agree with this, you're not going to be challenged to grow mm-hmm. because all you're going to be looking for is things that you agree with. How yeah. are you ever going to get outside your comfort zone and grow as a person if you don't have your, your viewpoints challenged in a good way? Yeah, we are 100% right, Tim. And, and, and even also, too, is the fact that... Um, you know, a lot of times people have just put their hope in pastors and leadership as well, too. Absolutely. And of course, our generation before us was really where a lot of pastors, especially a lot of well-known pastors, you know, failed and, and fell immorally or, or or went away from the Lord. And, you know, when you put your faith in a person instead of Christ, you're very much, uh, you know, separating with that pedestal. You're very much setting yourself up for failure because if Christ is in the center of your life, you're, you're very much you're going to rest on what people do, and people are guaranteed, you know, a failure. So. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Um, Tim, you said something about um, like not wanting to be challenged or not wanting your viewpoints to be challenged. Do you feel yeah. like, and this is just a question I'm putting out there, do you feel like millennials in the church also feel like they can't do that? Because I feel like something, as a young adult, you know, especially like as a college-age kid, I think you see where I'm getting with this, um, and you, you start to, to do that more. You start to question things more, and I know that I know that's been true for you, for sure. Absolutely. Um, do you feel like, that a reason why millennials might leave the church is because they've tried questioning things or they've tried bringing up different viewpoints and trying to do that, but haven't seen any response or just kind of seen that pushed down or ignored, that kind of thing? My personal experience has been absolutely. And people I've talked to who've had similar experiences would agree with me as well. Um, Especially when I was really rethinking the idea of what is church, right? So I grew up in the church my whole life. I was homeschooled, I had a great family, my parents loved the Lord, and they they really raised me to the best of their ability, which is pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, but I grew up, again, just in that church culture. And the church culture is you go to church. You know, you go to church. Occasionally a family will come over to get dinner, but I grew up in that, in that very, very typical mindset of I, I attend somewhere. So 
as my relationship with Jesus deepened, and as I started really thinking about, well, what is church? I remember going to Europe, going to Belgium, and working with a church that met in, in bars around the city. And I remember thinking, this is wrong. I thought to myself, this is so wrong. They're meeting in <laughs> bars where alcohol was served. I mean, obviously it wasn't served when the church was meeting, but it was still a bar. And I'm thinking, I remember talking to my friend Jerry, who I was with, and I, him and I would go back and forth. And But what we experienced at that church, they were called The Well, was a whole different way of looking at, at how a church community can function. They met in smaller groups every Sunday, and then once a month, the the larger gathering met together to worship the Lord. And then throughout the week, they would meet in smaller groups, and they we really spent a life-on-life life experience with them during that time. So that launched me into that thought of, well, what is church? I also was reading a book called Pagan Christianity at the time, which um, was really... <laughs> You know, for what it, you know, at this point, I take it with a grain of salt, but still has some some valid points behind it. Um, So I really spent a lot of my early to mid twenties really rethinking what is this church thing? What does it look like? And you know, Jordan, we were part of a community called Eleventh Hour that allowed us to challenge those things with each other. Mm -hmm. But I did find that when I would bring some of those mindsets into the institutionalized church. I know that I was seen as like the troublemaker or the cynic or, well, you don't really believe in the church. And it wasn't that at all. I was just really passionate about being accurate for how God designed the church to be. And no matter how you slice it, unfortunately, I was seeing a lot of inconsistencies with that. And so I remember being a part of a church where I had time to kind of, um, I was in the middle of really challenging my faith, and of course, I'm very outspoken, and at this time, I was even more outspoken, and I remember um, talking to the the youth pastor there, a great guy named Kevin, and you know, we had great conversations, but I know that like the lead pastor, the other members of the church who were in leadership positions, they kind of saw me as the troublemaker, and I didn't mean <laughs> for it to be. I didn't. And it, maybe I was a little, not maybe, I definitely was a little intense, and you know, like I said, a little extreme, but... I didn't feel like it was a safe place. There was never a conversation of, hey, you know, that's a good point. Let's dialogue about this. And by the way, here's why we do it this way, just yeah. so you understand. It was always yeah. like, well, this, this instead of saying that, it was always, well, this is the rules. This is how we do it. This is why we do it. But it was, it was always so black and white. There was no room for gray. There was no room for, you know, maybe that's a good point. Maybe we should reexamine yeah. some of these things. I think like seeing the validity in those questions right. I think is really important. I like what you said about like a safe place. Too. I never felt heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And I think that's what, millennials are looking for is that they're looking for to be heard. So even if we're not, even if the church leader is not going to take anything that you have to say, instead of reacting in a defensive way, just saying, right. Hey, is this what I'm hearing you're saying? Is this what I'm processing through with you and running through? It? And even if at the end of the day, they're not going to make that change, but at least giving people the ability to be heard, showing them maybe some of the reason why you're doing right. what you're doing, what's your purpose is behind right. that. Maybe you it's know? unattainable. Yeah. You know, maybe, right. maybe it's just impractical to do, but I, sometimes I felt, um, that no one was assuming that any positive intent on my end. They just thought that I wanted to destroy the church. It's like, why right. would I want to do that? I'm a I'm a devoted follower of Jesus. I'm not trying to tear anything down. But at the right. same time, I'm reading this book called the Bible. I'm looking at at this. I'm seeing this. I'm not seeing hmm. you know consistent. So what what am I missing? You know, how do we get to this point? I, I I always think to myself, we read the same book, yet we have such different views. Which I understand for some things, but for other things, I I I'm purely just amazed at how 
some of the practices that we do as a church, uh, as an institutionalized church, how we do that and think that somehow that's a good idea. And I still think that way sometimes, but I've been able to kind of be more respectful and more dialogue driven about it now. Right. But as a young millennial, I really could have used someone telling me that in, a, in an appropriate way. Like, Tim, I hear what you're saying, but let's work on how you're approaching this. Yeah, you know? my, my college professor always told me, he's like, the things that you're learning now at Bible school don't go back to your lead pastor at your church and try to change everything and blow up the book, you know, because you're setting yourself up to get kicked out of that church real fast. Right. And so, you know, I think obviously, once again, it comes back to what we started off with. Obviously, we're that self-driven culture. We're that we're right. We got to prove a point. Right. Victim so, culture. Um, just a lot of, you know, how we approach things, how we talk, coming from that point of, hey, can I just share some of my thoughts with you? And probably most of the time, a lot of honest questions from Len, probably real and probably right. We're not disagreeing that what right. We have to say isn't important. I think it's just maybe how are we then communicating that, and and then as pastoral leadership, are we, are we willing to let a hear and a, and allow people to voice their opinions? And there's you know, no doubt for the win, work for the win on both. You know, there's no doubt millennials are brash and they're in your face, and I was definitely and still sometimes am a little bit that way as well, mm-hmm. but. That's when I really could use that that mentor-like influence of, right. hey, I hear what you're saying, but if you want to make changes, this is not the way to do it. Right. No one told me that. They just said, shut up, pretty much. You know, yeah. ah, okay, Tim, yeah, we hear you, blah, 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 blah. Hey, you're so controversial. It's like, I'm not trying to be. I'm right. just seeing this on point. I'm just saying something because no one else is. I think that you mentioned earlier, Dan, about how um, a lot of millennials kind of have you know, they lost faith in the pastor role because they see the, yeah. you know, or, 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 or they put people on that pedestal of pastor. Right. But honestly, and, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to victim blame that, oh, it's not the millennial's fault because we definitely have plenty of our own faults. But when you look at the role of pastor, even in the scripture, it's a shepherd. But right. we made the pastor the CEO overall uh, infallible the teacher. Head, head pe- you know, yeah, yeah. yeah the pastor like the, the ninja that can be the, the level 10 leader, right. the best preacher, the organizer of vision, right. the vision caster. Oh, this is a, a massive administrator and organizer. And, and you know, exactly really, right. when you look at scripture, just like what you said, to be a shepherd. And then Ephesians says to empower the saints to do ministry. Right. That's yeah. the role of a pastor. Right. So who are you, number one, shepherding? And then who, what saints are you empowering to do the work of ministry? Well, you I know? think about our conversation last night or mm-hmm. two nights ago around some musical worship we were going over right. and we uh, you know uh, I was telling you like Dan your heart is the pastor not to do administrative duties right. so how can we free you up to pastor and we'll take some of that responsibility for you and it's and not that, fair that comes to you know everybody's been given a shape and everyone's a tenant something mm-hmm. and so you, your role really as the pastor is to start plugging people into those roles so that you can really then pastor them and shepherd them along the process and so often we end up getting caught doing all the work that we're not freed up to actually pastor what we were called what we were called to do by the Lord. You know? I, so. I truly now feel bad for pastors because I feel like the roles and the expectations that we put on them as as non pastors mm-hmm. is just really unrealistic. But at the same time, when our format puts them in that light as well, I think something's got to give. Right. So, you know, I mean, I think about uh, the um, the uh, like the fivefold um, right. like different gifts of, of the ministry. Check out our to- podcast on this. <laughs> <laughs> from a few months Shame, ago. Sh- oh, yeah. Shameless, right. shameless plug talk, right there. The, yeah, you know, the uh, the apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, yeah. and, and pastor. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, well, I can't expect my pastor to be all five of those. And you might have people in your congregation who are really gifted in teaching. Yeah. But if we put the expectation that the pastor has to preach every Sunday, 
that's a dangerous precedent. Now this pastor has to do all the counseling, be there at all the funerals, do all the hospital visits, yep. actually pastor, oh, and by the way, I need a killer sermon from you every single Sunday without fail. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't, people are leaving your church for the next best church that can preach it better. Right. You know, I, I and obviously this is a little bit off topic, but I think it just speaks to the his leadership is Andy Stanley at his church. He, he actually openly says that he's not really great at preparing the content portion of his scripture so he's found a team of some guys around him who actually do a lot of the contact work a lot of the scriptures a lot of the digging because he's found his gifting is actually in presenting and in preaching and so wow, that says a lot about his leadership that you're willing to then empower some guys who are, are faithful to be behind you and then the guys who are actually doing the work can swallow their pride a little bit and right. say andy you're way better at presenting than right. we are so it's that team effort know, right finding that role what where is my fit as right. a leader and then how am i empowering people under me to help me accomplish the vision so that once again we can disciple we can reach you know we can f- help more people follow jesus you know? i think one of the final things that um that that kind of feed into why millennials are really it's an exodus you know they're leaving the church so frankly yeah, not uncr- coming back unchristian talks about, um, i think they even calls that the exodus yeah. they probably do mm-hmm. um and this kind of ties into that pastor role um i think about just those pastors that we've seen publicly abuse church funds yeah. um who yeah. are caught in in affairs who are preaching against you know the homosexuality and then found in a homosexual relationship yeah. and listen no yeah. one's perfect okay it's not about that but when you say those things that puts that puts a target on your back and, and if you're not if you're not bulletproof with that we call that hypocritical yeah, you well, know and it's also like you know it's james three too i mean james comes at it if so you think that you are a leader that everybody wants to be know that the teacher is going to be judged at a harsher level than we are you know and then i think you know tim keller says it really really well when he quotes paul is that no one is above you know your work whatever you think that you think you are infallible to it just just don't don't say that too quickly because we can often fall for that you know no one is you know comparison to the sin so you just really really have to be careful and know that you're also going to be judged at a higher level and and so i put that challenge out to anybody who's got a facebook and a platform to speak mm. from because mm. you used to have to actually yeah. have credibility and education <laughs> to yep. uh now be people a like me can post and on now there, so. anybody can blog <laughs> higher standard you know anybody Help can you. podcast so so what are we saying then how are right. we living our lives what reflection because knowing that in turn we are going to be judged at a higher level so you gotta you gotta live what you preach exactly what you're saying the other half of that of that point i was going to make was that not only have we seen the TBN pastors yeah. who are saying, yeah. "Give me the money for the yacht or for the for for the jet so I can spread the gospel." I mean, yeah. if you go a YouTube like TBN pastors, you really see some unbelievable things. I went, but, went to school with a bunch. But of But this sons. is why it's so shocking, I think, to millennials is that, I mean, I don't see the church really distancing themselves from a lot of those people. That's what that's to me is what is kind of alarming is that I'm thinking to myself, okay, for instance, let's take Rob Bell for example. Rob Bell, okay, wrote a book on hell. Love wins. Yep, wrote a book on hell. Posed the question, is hell forever? All right, was labeled a universalist, even though he never says that in his book, and was pretty much extradited. Extradited. That's the right word, right? Excommunicated. Excommunicated, not extradited. <laughs> Again, going back to that, uh, you know, education level, but yeah, you know, he was totally excommunicated from the church. The whole church rejected him so quick. I mean, he was he was gone. He, his yeah. Numa books yeah. were, were, were were returned, and he had he had some good Numa videos, man. He was oh, a great communicator. He was phenomenal. Good. And his earlier stuff is truly phenomenal. Yeah, I remember going to a church meeting on a Sunday morning, and they had a pamphlet about Rob Bell's book and why why Christians should stay away from it. So the church can move against 
other people in the faith if they want to. But when it comes to the TD Jakes, the Joel Olsteins of the world, the TBM pastors who are begging for money, the Benny Hins, yeah, where's yeah. the church with that loud megaphone saying no? This is totally this is nonsense. It's not it's not really there. I mean, it's somewhat there, but it's not like how it was with Rob Bell because Rob Bell went from like level ten to about negative thirty in about maybe three months. His ministry was was. It was gone. Yeah, it, it it really was destroyed, in my opinion, because of some words that he said. He posed a question, the church didn't want to hear it, and all of a sudden his teaching was quote unquote dangerous. But that's a whole different discussion. My point though is that <laughs> I've seen people claiming to be a pastor say much more heretical things, say much more blatantly not true things, and yet I don't hear much from the church around those issues. Yeah. Whoa! Silence for a minute. <laughs> Yes, Rob. I let's hear uh, from the introverts. Yeah, I'd, we'd have to go back seventy-six minutes at well, this give point. Give me a sign you want to talk. I did like seven of them. What did you do? <laughs> Made eyes at you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot to be a mind reader. <laughs> Get used to it. You're going to be married. Yeah. So to go back. Any final thoughts, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> to go back. Can't believe an hour has flown minutes. by already. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> Hold on, we gotta say it now. I'm sorry. All right, before Dan. we started, Wait, that was before you got here. Yeah, right? yeah. It was before, before Dan we got no, here. No, no, I was here. Oh, you were. Oh, oh, okay. oh, never mind. Never mind. But I gotta explain it. So, so we before we are talking about the podcast and what we're going to talk about, we told Tim specifically, do not say, wow, this hour has really flown by, because he says it every single time. So I didn't. Somebody else said it. But Dan said it. It's been said. That's all right. You guys don't have to have me back again. So, you know. Don't worry. We won't. (laughs) But... (laughs) But to go back to what we're... What you guys were talking about... Um, when you kind of pose questions and think about things and start to question theology, I think one of the problems that we're having and why millennials are leaving, I think it ties into when they go to college and they start to hear different worldviews, they've never been taught how to process things. They've never been taught how to critically think, how to apply systematic theology. These are very important things that now they're being flooded with all of these different viewpoints. They've never been taught, okay, this is how you take this viewpoint, and this is how you compare it with Scripture. This is how you research things. This is how you compare things. How does it line up with what Paul wrote? How does it line up with what Peter taught? And they've never been taught how to systematically approach problems. And so, like you were saying, Tim, they come... And they're questioned, well, why don't you have sex before marriage? I don't know. My pastor told me not to. They've never been taught how to dig deeper and say, well, these are the principles behind what I've been taught and why I believe what I believe. Too many people don't know why they believe what they believe, other than my parents believed it. Mm. Jordan, introvert number two. Uh, Yeah, my final thought would be just that um, I think there's responsibilities on both sides, you know, like... What I always try and think of like, so what action can I take? You know, if I'm tr- if I'm learning something, even in a conversation setting, I know I'm trying to think through like, all right, what can I do? You know, what what's going to change because of this? And I think that there's responsibilities on both sides for millennials and for the church. Um, and I think just a few that come to mind that kind of I feel like I can pull out of what we're talking about is just like for the millennials. Um, just to realize that community happens with real people in real life and not 
on your keyboard and mouse, you know, right. and a computer yeah, screen. Definitely. And yeah. then on the other side of that, for churches to realize that real community probably doesn't happen on a Sunday morning either. Um, and then for uh, millennials, the other thing is just like that um, realizing what is a good way to question things and to question authority um, or, or just the way things are. And um, for the church on the other side of that question to um, allow that to happen, um, to be people that listen and to empower even people to take action. I think of just real quick, um, some of the ways that we, uh, Tim was talking about the 11th hour group that he and I were both a part of. And I think some, one of the things that was so attractive about that to uh, other young people was just that they felt in that community that they were empowered to actually make a change for something. And it was just that idea of like ownership and kind of like, all right, you see a need there. You see something that you feel like would be um, a, a, like a, a, a great ministry opportunity or uh, a, just a great, you know, if you want to have a, a prayer night or you want to have a time where you just get together and read the Bible, like do that host it, start it like that kind of empowerment where, um, where you don't feel like held down in the things that you feel God is leading you to do. So that's that, my, that's a that's great, my thought. um, summary of what 11th hour and why I think it was so attractive was that we were empowered just to do it. You know, the thought process was, well, there's no pastor here to start it. So why don't you start it? Why don't you take ownership? Which was a good challenge yeah. because as millennials, we usually want someone else to do it, but instead we said, "You know what?" And then we want to say, "We could have done it better." Than exactly, that. exactly, right. So, right. But anyway, yeah, no, that's that's really good. So something I was thinking about when you were saying that, uh, specifically the point um, about communi- real community doesn't happen on Sunday morning. I think that ties into what we've been saying about the selfie-driven generation of millennials and how that is translated to the selfie-driven local church atmosphere is we've made the Sunday morning about the people. It's not about them. Sunday morning should be a group of people having overflow of worship for God. It should be about God. Yeah. And we've turned it around and made it, well, how can we make you feel comfortable here? How can we make you feel welcome? How can we entertain you? How can we make sure that you're feeling good after the message? It's not about you. Sunday morning, if you look at the scripture, they came together to present their worship to God. It was about Him. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted to worship God in that moment. And there should be other things that are happening that bring the people together. Well, but that, that Sunday morning should be about God. Well, let, let, let me, let's be honest. Is really anything about following Jesus about us? I mean, I right. see in Scripture, it's a call to die, actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, if you ever read Kyle Eidelman's book, Not a Fan, I mean, his story was, you know, how, how he started, with the, he needed an attractional Easter message, and he's sitting in his pews, and he's like, well, let me see every time Jesus was speaking to a crowd, what did he say? And every time <laughs> Jesus is speaking to a crowd, he's telling them, uh, anyone who wants to follow me must lay down his life, uh, must do it. He's always pushing the crowd away and looking for <laughs> right, who yeah. are the real followers, who are really all in for this. You know, David Platt's book, Radical is really mm, yeah. a lot of the same same thoughts on that too. So so even the way that we do church today, what we're preaching, what we're sharing in our small groups, what we're sharing a time together, that 
are we really teaching the full gospel that it's a call to give all that you are for Christ and in return you get the beautiful exchange you get all of your sin all of your junk everything forgiven and your promised relationship with him but there's a cost associated with that right. there's so a fine print take up yeah. my cross and fo- there is a cross fine and follow print. me yes. there's a fine print in the gospel mm-hmm. so and, and I don't it's, think it's so fine <laughs> All right, it was an analogy, okay? It was just a uh, it was just terrible uh, analogy. It was not a terrible allusion, analogy. Allusion to earlier wow. conversation. Yeah, exactly. She's Rob. Whatever. Why did shoot me down? Dan, any final thoughts? No. Nah. Good 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 discussion today. Uh enjoyed it. Yeah, I I guess probably just closing with this is just um yeah, I think I think for millennials, I, I, just like what you're saying, Jordan, is you know, I think there needs to be action on the church's behalf and I think there also needs to be action on the millennials' behalf. We're not Stop creating programs for just young adults where they can kind of have community, and let's just let them become a part of the church. Stop, stop segregating, stop dividing. Get in a small group, serve your church. You know, die to yourself. Uh, I think you can just get really messy when you just start creating programs to just cater to people. So I guess that would be kind of a church leader's response to millennials: get involved and and start getting to know people outside of your own age. Well, I think about how I became even part of of uh, of Calvary Del Rand's you know local church gathering. wasn't because I thought you guys had great worship or because I was attracted to your your pastor preaching. Right. I met you and Kristen Rose at right. a barbecue. Right. We started talking. We we're like, wow, this is crazy. And we had all these things in common. And then you guys invited me out to um, the worship might resonate. Right. And then, you know, but again, I was a, I was a part of that relationship first before I even ever thought about it's attending always, the actual meeting. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And I think that millennials are so sensitive to that that Millennials are really good at knowing when someone's genuinely interested in them yes. and when they're not. Yes. And I think the second we feel someone go into that mode of, hey, welcome, how's it going? You know, man, that's really cool. That kind of mode of, I'm so interested in you because I'm getting paid to do it kind of mentality. It, it really is off-putting. And I think, Dan, that's something that I respect a lot about you is that even though you're a pastor, you know, I, and I see you that way. I see you as someone who is just genuinely interested in people. Hence, a real pastor. If I, you know, I, well, that's definition. Of but that's a our pastor. that's our call is to love people. I mean, right. that's every followers of Christ's right. responsibilities. Once again, they'll know you by your love, and so right. you know, it's. I don't view Tim as oh, he's going to bolster our attendance, and he's a great drummer. Like Tim's, a, Tim's a soul that. Right. If he's put in our church, he's responsible for my care. You know, I'm going to take account for how I steward and spend his sure. life and, and the things that I say to him and, and for every member that, that's under the care that yeah. the Lord's given us. So they'll know you got your love. So. I think my final thought is, is kind of what you said, Jordan. You really summed it up really well. Um, I love your... Uh you know, the idea that you're not going to find right now, you know, authentic, true community on a Sunday morning. It's, it's not designed for that. And that's that's right. okay. That's not a bad thing. I thought that was a bad thing for a lot of years. But the Sunday morning has its place yeah. to be a healthy gathering. And in fact, I found that when I stopped going to a Sunday morning gathering, I found myself missing it and really desiring to be part of that worship experience with those people. Mm. Um I just think that my final thought is for millennials just not to give up on the church, you know, just yeah. because the church yeah. is really flawed and there's a lot of, you know, we all have a lot of opinions and we all see through it. When you're actually in charge of some of those things, it's not as easy as you would think. It's not as black and white as you would yeah. think. It's often very gray and it's messy because people are messy. And I think that millennials, 
um, that we have this mentality of, well, I, like you said, Dan, earlier, I can do it better. And we have this desire to kind of start our own little island. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just we'll just separate from this institutionalized thing and we'll do church so much better. And then they end up repeating themselves. And, yes. and before you know, we're caught <laughs> yeah. in a cycle. They become yeah. the 30 and 40 they, something. Right. And then the new millennials. They really do. Up. You know, or, or, or they start a, a quote unquote church here that is flashier and more more superficial than than, than, than the last and one. The because, one it, you know, yeah, because yeah. it wasn't, yeah. well, their worship wasn't done well. So we could do it better. So let's get more lights and we'll get a better sound equipment. And then it becomes about money. And before you know it, you start catching yourself. Oh, this is what I kind of kind of came out of and now I'm repeating the process so or so not catching yourself right or not catching yourself until it's too late honestly right. sorry before you close Tim sure. you said something to me the other day when we were talking about why you came back to church obviously you if you gotten engaged recently could maybe just sharing that I think might be useful too about that you needed that community behind you to help you and Sarah. Like, oh yeah. yeah. I actually think that that might be encouraging to millennials and why we need Sunday morning, why we need gatherings as a church. Yeah. Together, even though community might not be that main component that you find on the Sunday morning. Right. For me, uh, for me and Sarah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very big self assessor. Um, mm-hmm. and Sarah always tells me that I'm always thinking like, what can we do better? How does this work? What is a relationship? How do we do it? And something that we both realized was that, there's no way that we can do a marriage on our own. Um, and yes. of course, and, and really in a sense, um, it's not that God's not enough. He definitely is, but he designed us for that communal part So mm-hmm. uh, of, with people. So if we forsake that, really God isn't enough in that sense because he's saying, no, I designed you for more than just than just, than, than just me. You need to be part of, of, of this relationship with these people to do life together. That's how I designed you to be. Right. So we found ourselves kind of lacking and kind of saying, we just miss being with people worshiping the Lord together in that context. And something that something that, that, that really changed our thinking was that we said to ourselves, let's assume the positive first before we start picking out the negative. And good. for a long time That's it was really the opposite. Good. We walk into a Sunday morning, we just in our head, well this you know, this isn't that great and this is kinda lame and well I you know, the, the musician couldn't even hit the right notes kind of mentality. And I had to catch myself and I said, you know what? I think I start off a cynic and then I have to be converted into a believer. Yeah. So why don't yeah. I start off as a believer and let them really have to prove me wrong before I, I become a cynic for really any local church thing. gathering. That really changed our mentality of how we perceived the Sunday morning gathering in particular. Yeah. And then from there, we started realizing, you know, there are other, other people here that, that God has put us um, next to. How do we start now doing life with, with, with these people, some of these newly married couples who are ahead of us or yeah. people who are getting engaged or who are engaged? We really need those people in our life because... God knows that we. I just. Need, I need. I need that. Uh, need that support personally. I need those people in my life. I think about even you, uh, Rob. Rob and Julia. You know, Sarah and I love hanging out with you because even when we're getting dinner, we still feel like we're being discipled. It's not. It's, it's not awesome. intentional. We're not going to have discipleship time. Right. We just find ourselves talking about well, how does marriage work and what's it like having a kid, and we're just soaking it in because of, of that wisdom that's there. So I don't know if that kind of answers what you were absolutely hoping yeah. for. Probably a little over, a little long there, but the bottom line for me was that it came down to having to change my view of going from cynic to believer first and then also realizing that we just need people and also realizing that maybe God's putting people in our lives so we can pour into them. Yeah. That's been yeah. another big thing we've realized yeah. too is like, whoa, like maybe we can give advice to this couple yeah. um, and we don't want to rob them of that either. Just you're not just there to receive. Right. Yeah, yeah. We're not there just to be taken care of. We want to help take care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely was a big change, but I'll tell you what, you know, the church that we've, we've, you know, newly kind of found as our home, 
has really been just such an open door. It, it, it would have been so wrong for us not to be a part of that because every door was so open for everything there. And I think that I think that's really the key for us is that the Lord yeah. was saying, you need to be here, you need to give and receive, you yes. need to become a part of this of this community and develop with them and, and share your talents and grow in your weakness, and we'll go from there. So I think one of the things that really spoke to me as a young Christian was looking at the gifts that are given to specific people. And we already said, you know, different gifts are given to everybody. No one has all of the gifts and should be the main person. But if if I'm given a specific gift and if I believe God has placed me in a local church for a purpose and I'm not developing, then I'm robbing the other people that God has placed me in that church yeah. to be. I'm robbing them of my gift. It's the parable not, of the the talents, you know what what was given and yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's not it's not just me who's suffering. God has given me a gift to bless others and now they're suffering as well because I'm lacking and I'm saying, well, you know what? I I shouldn't go this Sunday or whatever it is and it really motivated motivated me as a young Christian to say I've really got to pour myself into this because it's not just my life that's at stake here. It's the life of everybody I gather with and, and my community. That's really what's at stake here. And is that worth you know, my selfish desires of, well, I want to do my own thing today right. or this year or whatever. And I'm sure you realized too that it was be, it was more than just a Sunday morning obviously. Like yeah. I have to, you know, for me and Sarah, it's when we commit, we really want to be committed to that yeah. body in yes. life, not yes. just in these 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 attending events that we make that we call church, I want to yeah. know them over coffee, over dinner, you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it it just takes all that more effort, but it's so worth it. So um, but yeah, I guess I guess that's my final thought in a nutshell. If you're a millennial, don't give up on don't give up on the church because the church has definitely not given up on you for sure. Yes. And as a follower of Jesus, you're already part of the the church. You're already part of it. So you can try and separate yourself. You can try and forsake the assembly, but you're gonna find yourself hurting more than you're gonna be satisfied. So um, yeah. Anyway, cool guys. Awesome. Well, this is a great discussion, and I appreciate you, Dan, coming out and really offering your uh, perspective as someone who is a millennial, but also really involved in a normal, really a, a pretty typical church body uh, right. who's who's successful, who has a lot of the you know the policies and procedures that a lot of churches have, and being able to offer your perspective on that. So thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, yep. guys. Um, everyone, thanks for listening again. Um, thanks for tuning in to this podcast and listening listening to us banter for almost 90 minutes. So Woo! there it is again. Our time <laughs> A record. <stamp>. A record. <laughs> so if you made it all the way through, give yourself a high five wherever you're at. And then like our Facebook page. And then like our Facebook page. Oh, Jordan Bruneau wants me to tell you that if you're rich and have a lot of money or if you're poor and have a lot of money, wait, if wait, you're poor what? and have no money, uh, you should still pay us to do this. Right, yes, Jordan? Is that what you said? Especially if you're poor. Yes, it's, it's really important that you give us all <laughs> your money so we can yeah. keep doing this thing Sound like exactly <laughs> those are your words jordan exactly word for word exactly word for word verbatim yeah. if you do want to donate He's one dollar them back out. if you want to donate donate a dollar to us <laughs> there um, is absolutely no way for you to do that uh, you, you can always cash at me uh, i oh, have yeah, a cash yeah. app you That's can do true. that so most Tim's like, phone number is <laughs> most likely though it's probably just most of our friends listening to it who already have my phone number so yeah anyway everyone thanks for listening we will catch you guys uh later on